Hey, I'm Todd, coming from the uh, Bruno Sports Review Library in, uh, in my apartment. And and I just want to, I'm going to go over some stuff here, uh, do some readings and uh, stuff like this. The book is called The Games That Changed the Game by Ron Jaworski with Greg Costell and David Pot. Oh, what? Anyways. Um, book is written in 19, our book is from, uh, copyright is from 2010, and it is a beauty, it talks about how, what I've seen, it talks about the, uh, the differences in the game and how the new ideas have been implemented into the, uh, as time has gone on, the new ideas have been implemented into the uh, the offenses and the defenses, and uh, and how this is coming along. And you know, and, and I look at the passing game because this is uh, this is pretty modern uh, modernized today with the uh, with the passing game. What I'm talking about is you know splitting a tight end out, or uh, you know doing doing a spread offense. Um, you know, working working off the, uh, and not having a single wing anymore or nothing like that, or not having a, not having a single wing offense or a key formation or a box formation or anything like that. This is about the, how to spread the defense out and, uh, you know, how to send people in motion. And so anyways, what I'm going to be talking about today is that, uh, I already went through the the Chargers and Raiders game. And, you know, this is right after it. This is the next paragraph here. Starts out, two weeks after the defeating the Raiders. This is on page 107, by the way. Two weeks after defeating the Raiders, San Diego traded for New Orleans running back Chuck Muncy. He may have been the most gifted running back ever to play the game, according to uh, to Bauer. As a Charger announcer, I've, I've watched every one of Odanian Tunnels' carries. I've seen Barry Sanders, Marcus Allen, Evan Smith, O.J. Simpson, you name them. And I still say Chuck is the baddest, baddest runner I've ever seen. He'd have been the best of all time if he'd stay out of, uh, stayed out of, out of trouble off the field. Just imagine what he could have done now with Helen, three wides, and a buckle back like Muncie. The defense tried to the defense tries to shut down our passing game with uh, six defensive backs, their safeties dropping, and one linebacker. They're all going out wide, covering Kellen and and the other wide receivers. We just run the stretch play all the time, all day. Muncie would kill them. Muncie's arrival handed Coriel, Gibbs, and Sampezi another lethal weapon sparked even more creative ideas that led us to led us to putting another tight end in the game and making him the ace back. Then putting in a different formations all over the place, explained Gibbs. That was the evolution of the one-back offense. Well, the people I ever checked with, Coriel was never afraid to try anything. He was very progressive and let his coaches try any idea. 
Among those suggestions were all kinds of personnel shifts, pre-snap, mo- pre-snap mo- moves that totally baffled Charger, Charger opponents. The Chargers put Winslow in motion prior to the uh, prior to the snap, or gave San Diego several different advantages. Gave several Diego several different advantages. It's considerably harder for a tight defender to cover someone who he's, when he's forced to move with him before the snap. It's much easier standing still when he can stand square up and set himself before the before the play begins. And the player in motion knows exactly where he's going to go. Well, the defender can only can only guess. It's also harder for the defender to change directions. Then there was the basic physical mismatch between Kent Winslow and the defenders of that era. Kellen was taller and faster than anyone opponents put on him, said, said Saunders. He was at best in a, contest, in a contested environment. He used what we called basketball skills, better than any tight end of his time. He could wall off a defender to make the catch. Kellen would run a square right into the defender and knock him back and then break off. Now he'd get open and get the now, now he'd get open. Get the ball and in open field. He could really run. He was too fast. He was too big for a lot of those defenders to take on. A defense had to account for all that shifting. Winslow shifting from backfield to tight end backs are in motion. Don wanted to get an advantage before the snap. Some teams did that with the cadence or audience, audibles. Don's movement created mismatches and confusion with the defense. When I first got to San Diego, I asked Ernie Zampezi why they did so much shifting and movement. His reply was, sometimes we just do it to do it. When you shift or go in motion, that causes at least two checks by the defense. So what happens if someone doesn't have the check or near, or hears it incorrectly? Now he's out in a position and you have the wrong defender in place. That kind of reminds me of the basketball, too, because of the uh, how they're always trying to get that mismatch, and you know, a lot of times you have the uh, you have a good hand ball handling guard, and you have the have a good center, and they want to run a pick and roll. Well, that's the thing. If you switch in basketball, you're going to be you're going to have guard on big man big man on guard and uh, you know and that's that's a problem area because if you got if you got height if you got height like that like a big man does you know for instance would be 6'10 you got oh, a 6 foot 1 guard trying to play it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how good he is it doesn't matter how fast he is but you got a, they call it the mouse in the house and, uh, you know, that's what they're trying to get with, that's, the, that's what they're trying to find with these guys that, between these uh, formations. And uh, 
I find it, I find it very intelligent. I find it very appealing. And they had to even, you know, even back then, everybody's so stubborn and stuff like that. I just find it very uh, appealing to me that, you know, people would actually try something like that back then. And that's one thing, but the thing is, is that, you know, it helped develop the game. And that was, that was one of the things I've seen. I've seen so much, so many good things come out of football and come out of this book, this particular book. And, uh, and why it's so important to be able to see this, to be able to see an offense like this develop. Because of all the, you know, it's, when I think about it now, I'm thinking about you know, especially when you got tight ends going in motion and so on and so forth. I'm thinking about the uh, the offenses, especially in high school, when they were uh, the basic vanilla offenses that they ran back then. You know, and you had to have you had to have big guys back then too. But you know, it it did. You can see it. You can see the wishbone offense and stuff like that back when I was playing. And, you know, the wishbone's fun and it causes different mismatches, but the thing is, is that, you know, with the wishbone, you're also risking, you're also risking fumbles a lot more, too. And, uh, you know, I, I remember a lot listening to a Oklahoma-Nebraska game, the guy fumbled like, they fumbled like nine times in one game, and this was 1979. But that's, that's the problem with the, uh, with the wishbone. You can roll up yardage, but it's like you have to be able to take care of the ball. And if you don't take care of the ball, then you're going to have problems again. So you want to have your you want to have your best uh, guys on the field that can take care of the ball if you're going to run the wishbone. That's why this that's why this stuff is so important. That uh, you know, I I think it's a lot riskier or a lot less risk, I should say, with running an offense with splitting out the tight end and and moving him in motion, and, uh, you know, and that's the most important thing that I've seen, is that you'll be able to control the ball, but create mismatches. And, you know, I've seen that, uh, you know, it's it's not about throwing the ball 80 yards downfield, it's about being able to, you know, back when the Raiders were in the 70s, that's what they just, they prided themselves on, was uh, was the bump, and they had the wide receiver set to do it, you know, so it really wasn't that really wasn't that big of a deal if uh, if they could complete the bomb once in a while. But the thing was that you know you're not going to be able to control the clock, and you're always, you're going to be uh, you're going to have your defense up against the back of back up against the wall once in a while too. Because you know if your quarterback fumbles, he gets hit or something like that, and he fumbles or something like that. That's the thing is, is that. You know what, defense had to account for all that shifting, and that's what that's what I'm thinking about, is the, uh, the shifting from backfield to tight end. Back's in motion. And, and uh, I apologize if I've already read this. Don wanted to get an advantage before the snap. Some teams did that with cadence or audibles. Don's movement created mismatches and confusion with the defense. I know I've already read this, but anyways, what I'm trying to say too is I'm looking at this, just trying to take it apart a little bit more. 
Why they did so much shifting and movement, his reply was, sometimes we just had to do it. And, you know, that's the thing. You know, if you cannot have, if you want to have that type of offense, you have to move your guys around. Because it just creates, hey, it just creates havoc. You know, and it also gives you a, <clears throat> you got to have a good, a good uh, audible system, then you're going to be able to find those mismatches. And you know it. You know, and like you're saying in here too, it says that two. It says that that causes at least two checks by the defense. And it, you know, it's, so what happens if someone doesn't hear the check or hears it incorrectly? It can be a big play, and that's why you see a lot of uh, screwed up coverages now in the NFL because you know it, it's. Uh, you got to be able to have your, you have the right guys to cover the right amount of space. You know, it's it's probably it's it's a lot more difficult to run a uh, to run a probably the best state defense against this type of offense is a man-to-man coverage. But the thing is, when they're getting moved, when you're moving your guys around, then it takes away the uh, it takes away that. Uh, takes away that ability to cover because you guys have to have the type of you have to have good communication is what that's all about well good communication on defense you have no defense and you know it's it's so important and you know I keep saying it's so important but I really that's the thing that I see that I've seen so many times is these guys you can tell you can tell a coach going through the through the roof when he's uh Hair standing up on his hair standing up, and uh, you know that's the thing the eyes needed was to be able to cover man to man because zone is so uh, <laughs> I don't know zone's really zone is zone is very difficult to play. So and then covering man to man is not easy either. So that's why the offense the offense has advantage big time. From week to week, the Chargers added more components to their offense, which drove opponents out of their mind. And it wasn't just an endless parade of men in motion. Coriel was now clustering his receivers in unorthodox ways, utilizing what was known as the combination routes. These were patterns linked to the location and grouping of pass targets. Determining where they lined up in formation with whom they were bunched. Other wideouts, tight ends, or even running backs. Winslow appreciated the cerebral, cerebral nature of these innovations. That's all it is, really is. A time-space continuum. An offense has to exploit that time and that space. And the more you have to think about it as a player, as a defensive player, the less effective you are at covering all options. As an offense, when we ran plays of simplicity in a complicated way, we improved our odds. Our odds. That's the, uh, you know, that's the thing is you see these bunch formations and stuff, but you know, you got, that's one thing I see, you know, they're always, you know, you always have one guy over towards the weak side, usually in a bunch formation. And you got like four guys or three or four guys and 
in a little bunch and uh, have fun trying to cover that because that's pretty confusing. Um, you know, and then try to communicate who's got who and you see, uh, you see it at the, uh, just before the play, you see the defense moving around and out. You know, they're pointing at this guy and pointing at that guy. They're just trying to get their, their, their uh, guys who they got to cover. You know, they're, since <clears throat> they're playing man-to-man defense. And, you know, it, it becomes a, it becomes a Chinese fire drill. Um, you know, you think that, you'd think that one guy would be over here, one guy would be, you know, it'd be the same people over. You would have the same people in the same space, and uh, they would be in the same part of the line of scrimmage, but they move people around. And when they go in motion, that's when it really gets confusing. You know, that's the thing about a one-back offense, too, is you're not going to have a fullback, but you're going to have the uh, ace-back. Well, they call it, they call it the ace-back in the uh, early 80s. But, uh, yeah, the ace-back is a... Uh, it's a really good idea, and I know I remember one age back that was really good, and that was uh, for the for the Chargers, and uh, they used to have a guy that uh, Rod Bernstein was an excellent age back. You know, he is he was definitely a, a cross between a fullback and a tight end. Um, you know, and but when they got uh, Gates, Antonio Gates. They were able to explore the uh, H-back tight end formation a little bit more and able to, uh, you know, and what it did was it took uh, Gates, he was able to, the way he played it, it took him to the Hall of Fame. You know, he went from uh, starting basketball forward at Kent State and he went all the way to the, uh, never played it down in football, but he came in to train, try it out for the Chargers. And I believe the Chargers drafted him, if I remember right. But anyways, what happened was some scholar or something saw this guy and they took a chance on him. And it's just like, this happened so many times. That a uh, player, a basketball player who's never played football before will go out and they'll draft him. They drafted uh, Cornell Green. He was, uh, he's one of the, he's in the Hall of Fame too for the, uh, he played for the Cowboys. And they drafted him out of uh, Michigan State. Um, so it's like, you know, it's, it's funny. It's kind of fun to watch this stuff because, you know, he was a cornerback. But uh, what I'm saying is that if you have defensive, if you have athletic ability and they think you're going to be able to make a football player out of you, they'll do it. You know, and that's the fun part of the, uh, that's the fun part of watching this stuff. Uh, watching, uh, I've watched these shows, you know, and uh, I know I know uh, Jaworski used to do a, a show on uh, early in the mornings on the matchups, and uh, and he used to, he used to be able to he's doing the same type of show that I'm that he's doing in here. He's talking about um, can't remember the the uh, the 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 the. the, the Shaving cream that sponsored it, but uh, yeah, it was, <clears throat> anyways. But it was one of these that uh, 
One of these shows I really like because it got technical. You know, I just didn't see I just didn't see the guy doing a doing a doing something to draw attention to himself or nothing. It was you know, Coriel would line it up and he would or not Coriel, but Jaworski would line it up and he would be able to show what should be going on in that game that day, because it was on Sunday mornings at about eight o'clock. And I really, uh, <clears throat> I just remember getting up and watching that show, and uh, you know, and realizing that, you know, it's 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 fun to see that when you got a former quarterback who can go out. That was just the brink. That was just the, the very beginning of all this uh, of offenses back then coming in, because it used to be an ESPN, but it was like. Right after Jaworski retired, and uh, and it was so much fun to see that because it was uh, it would be fun to watch because you knew it was coming. If you watched that show, you knew it was coming, and you know, he usually he usually was right on right on with it. And um, anyways, So, yeah, it's uh, Broncos defensive coordinator Joe Collier tried to crack the Chargers' code twice a week. I'm sorry, twice a season. With only mixed results. Coriel's teams never showed you the same thing twice, he stated. They always seem to come out with new formations, new motions, new shifts. What we had to do was play a pretty vanilla defense until we figured out what the hell we should be doing against them. The plays ended up with, they ended up with what would be the same plays they used all year, but it was their way of getting into the plays that caused the doubt in our defenses. Um, <clears throat> Rod Rust faced the same problems positioning his Chiefs defenses. Against the Chargers, the first thing we had to worry about was getting lined up properly, he explained. My last year in Kansas City, we finally figured out what we needed to do, and that was basically by thinking, we don't care where anybody else is. Whether Kellen was lined up as an X or Z, we were going to line up with our corners outside, safeties inside, linebackers in the box. We're going to defend the one they gave us rather than the saying, you cover this guy, you cover you cover that guy, because if you don't, that you'll already behind the curve. I made the mistake too many times before. You hear uh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna say this too before I go on here. You'll hear you hear these announcers, the new fancy term is eye candy with these formations like this. And you'll you'll hear that quite a bit. And uh you know, it's, it's just what they're explaining is that you see a, you see certain certain players lined up in different formations, and you think that they're going to be they're going to be in that position. They're going to come out of the of the passing pass breaks in that formation. Well, it's not true because of the uh, different formations and the different motions they go through, especially the spread offenses. So you know, I mean, it's what this this world is going to. The world of football is going to spread offenses, that's for sure. This enabled our players to compete with your with their players rather than compete 
with their coaches, trying to figure out where to line up. The genius of what San Diego did was that their print players knew was that their players knew uh, the genius of what San Diego did was their players knew what to do better than their defenders because they moved people around in different loca- different atypical atypical locations. If you could eliminate indecision, your defense had a much better chance against them. Every NFL offense ever devised can be can be stopped. However, even Coriel's Chargers, one way is by having your having our defense. I'm sorry. One way is by having our offense beat itself with self with turnovers. They revealed Bauer. Otherwise, it was because some teams weren't good at stopping our run. Then most teams could press our... Most teams going to press our pass pocket because we didn't roll the pocket that much. They did, they'd have to guess, take a chance of their own giving us a false look on defense. The teams that put pressure on down were the, only, were the ones who gave us pits. Whether it was... Whether it was overloading personnel an individual man mismatch, blitzes, stunts, you've got to press the pocket inside, get in the face of the quarterback, and make him move on his feet. The other thing is, is that you've got physical corners, you can get a good jam on our guys releasing. Our timing routes could get disrupted. Thinking about uh, Fouts, too, and the fact that he... He struggled when he was under pressure because he couldn't—he didn't have—he didn't have any uh, ability to move around. And uh, you know, he had an awesome offensive line. I mean, you look at Russ Washington, Billy Shields. Uh, they had, those guys were Ed White. These guys were good, good offensive linemen. And. Uh, you know, and they were Walsh's, and they were uh, Fultz's security blanket. <laughs> but you know, with all that, with all that blocking and stuff like that, the, the way to stop a good, the state way to stop an offense is by a pass rush. You know, and they're making it more difficult now because if they're doing three or five step drops, it's hard to put any pressure on them. You know, you hear, you hear the uh, they complaining about. Well, we can't put any pressure on him. Yeah, because you can't put any pressure on him because you're not adjusting to the, uh, to the, to the, uh, three or five step drop. And that was the thing is, is that, so, you know, it's, it's every good, you know, it's like every good offense stays one ahead of the defense, it seems like to me in the NFL. And, um, you know, that's, uh, some of these things that you see coming up, they've come up with, no, they just keep getting more and more advanced. You know, and I wonder sometimes about, you know, about maybe they're making it too hard for the players, you know, and that's why they're, uh, they're feeling a lot more stress and a lot more, uh, a lot more of the, you see them get, you see these guys, they're talking about Muncie going, uh, having problems in the offseason, or having problems in the, uh, with his alcohol and, uh, drug use, and the reality is, too, is that, you know, there's, a lot of pressure on the on a football player, 
you know, you look at what happened in that uh, Cincinnati and uh, Buffalo game. That thing, that's ugly. I didn't like talking about it. I'm just trying to say is that you just don't know. You don't know one day or the next, man. You know what the reality is, too, is that you have to be able to go out and compete at a certain level or you lose your job. That job pays a lot of money. And, you know, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if too many jobs that could, uh, <laughs> that are going to support you, that's for sure, with that kind of money. Um, but anyways, I'm going to, I'm going to break the rest of this, uh, I'm going to turn the rest of this over to, uh, go to Bill Walsh's West Coast offense here in, uh, next reading. So it's going to be the same, same type of thing, but we're just going to, uh, advance it. So it's glad to be here tonight. Glad to be sober. And, uh, with that, no one's told you they love you today. I do. And the power of love. Thanks. Thank you.